Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast, exploring how our thoughts and feelings influence our actions. I am Steve Nathanson, CEO and founder of Strive for More, professional coaching firm, and... I'm Andrew Marangoni, founder and CEO of Steel City Pack Leader. Together, we founded Pittsburgh Pet Care, where coaching and pet care meet. And this is our podcast. Andrew, welcome back, my friend, to our podcast, uh, The Resilient Mind, with Andrew and Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. So, you know, today we, we got talking a little bit earlier, and we decided we wanted to do something a little impromptu, because we think it's a very timely conversation about interactions socially, not only for humans, but also for, for dogs. So with that, I want to just tee up the conversation a little bit. I recently had an interaction with my, my two dogs and a new dog they were meeting for the first time. And we were talking about through this interaction, one of my dogs and the other dog they were meeting, they had a little tiff over a ball. So I was talking to Andrew about what happened, how to perhaps uh, reintroduce these dogs in the best way. And that's what we want to talk about today is the social interactions and norms for dogs, but also how that translates to us as, as humans. So Andrew, I'm going to tee this up and send this over to you right now about having dogs in the same type of space, like whether it's a dog park, whether it's a backyard that's fenced in, and whether they choose to interact with each other or not, you're using this great analogy of an airport. So I'd love to send that back to you and hear what you had to say on that topic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> it's real important to remember is that social interaction is not always just interacting. There's also personal social cues that you can conduct yourself. When I'm in a social setting, this is, this is socially acceptable. They, these are the manners that I, I express to you know, not infringe my personal freedoms and affect others. So the, what I was talking about was an airport terminal is we're all gathered together and we really can't leave that area. Um, we're kind of stuck there. Um, and you know, usually your flight's on time and it's not a, a terrible thing, but sometimes it can be a very tedious wait. Um, and what I was kind of getting at is, is that some people may choose to open up conversation with somebody next to them. Other people may choose to give a social cue that I'm not interested in interacting with you by burying their face in a book or putting earbuds in and, and looking at their phone. All these things are saying that I'm doing me right now. <clears throat> so in a situation like that with dogs, dogs being in the same situation with each other is social interaction. Dogs just walking around in the same area, sniffing the ground or laying down comfortably or playing ball with their owner and not worrying about another dog is social ability and it is something that um is very important to the dog and their their mental health sit good get it um and just you know it never ends even right now doing a podcast i <laughs> i'm working with a dog um and I think it's really important for people to understand that social ability is something that is practiced, it's learned, and every time you put your dog in a social setting, 
some learning is happening. So it's important not to rush them or put them in circumstances that may be overwhelming for them or too much for them. Um, you know, it's important to get to know your dog. Uh, I remember growing up, like having this mentality is that there's two types of dogs. There's friendly and not friendly dogs. And, you know, that would be like going through life being like, oh, there's only two types of people, friendly and unfriendly people, people I can talk to and people I can't talk to. Well, that's kind of ridiculous, um, you know, because when you start talking to people, you you can have interactions with people and it be pleasant and have no connectivity. And you can have deep connectivity with somebody and it not be pleasant. Right. You know, it, it always kind of looks different and it's really boiled down to the individuals involved. And I think one of the problems uh, we have societally is when we start putting a connotation on this is how behavior should look it starts getting real muddy because that's not always true. Um, what we should be doing is I'm in this situation. What am I observing? And what from that observation of what I'm looking at is going to influence my next decision on what's going on now, right? Like you, you can't always just go into a plan with somebody and be like, oh, I know how I'm going to, you know, work this conversation. In some instances, you can do that. If you're a boss and you're talking to an employee, you can be like, I need to get X, Y, and Z across to you. And I need to understand that you understand that by signing this sheet. Um, but in other aspects is you just may have one question and then you need to see what happens from there. So uh, I don't want to, blabber on in, into space in a vacuum. Um, so I'm gonna invite you back into this conversation and, and you know, let you ask me any questions or, or give me some insight into what I just said. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some good points in there because we do continually have our senses working for us around the clock, right? So we see, we hear, we smell, all those senses that we have, right, the, the touch and, and our taste receptors as well, give us what we are seeing, feeling, hearing, tasting, touching in that moment. It gives us the experience of that moment. And that helps us, based on our past experiences, essentially interpret what we're seeing. So it depends on what we've had in our past that allows us to essentially interpret our present, if that makes sense. And I think- Yeah, absolutely. Of, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. It, uh, yeah absolutely, it does make sense. <laughs> and, and I think that's one of the things that you were getting at too, is if I, from my past experiences, know when somebody puts earbuds in, they're saying, I kind of want to be by myself right now. Then based on those past experiences, if I kind of start interpreting that in this airport terminal, then it cues me to, Maybe I should leave that person alone. And it's the same, I think, with, with dogs. Like you said, is dogs can't speak. I mean, they could, they could bark, they can make sounds, they can have a lot of body language, but they can't speak words like we can as humans. 
So they can't necessarily say, leave me alone by actually saying it, right? Speaking those words. But they can if they get into a defensive posture, maybe the hair on the back of their neck starts rising, they start showing a little bit more of their, their teeth. And these are the kinds of things I think we're really talking about is as human beings, what are we observing about our dogs and their social interactions? And what are we also observing about other people in those social interactions? And what is that telling us? And how does that dictate our behavior in that moment? And that's what I was really taking away, I think, from, from what you said. Yes. And I think the that helped me restructure my thought process a little bit and kind of drive it back to the communication aspect is absolutely dogs don't speak English. Um, and here's the thing about human contact is we do speak English, but still the majority of our language is body language. Um, 60 to 65% so, estimate. Exactly. And so that's where misinterpretations of subtle communication can lead into unwanted, undesirable interactions. For instance, if I saw this person deep in a book and I maybe needed something from them, maybe some information, and I said, excuse me, and they went <sighs> and put down their book, I already, me personally, am going to be like, I'm going to keep this short. Yep. Now, if you're a person who's kind of unaware of that kind of body language, right. you may ignore that and keep bothering that person. And you may see an escalation of uncomfortable signs or disinterested um, body posturing, maybe even turning away from the person. Dogs do the same thing. And one of the things that happens is just, just like I've become good at reading certain cues some dogs are not good at reading other dogs' cues because they haven't had that experience. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. Um, I, I'm laughing, but I want to. I want to explain why I'm laughing. Is my my male dog Jude is such a sweetheart, and I made this comment yesterday to my friend as we were introducing their, the dogs. Jude, I don't think got the neuron that says maybe I should not approach this dog or this situation. <laughs> And he's completely, I think, missing that, even if, because we're talking about cues, we're talking about things where maybe dogs are showing a little bit more teeth, they're more defensive. Jude, no matter how many times he experiences that, still just doesn't get it. So I, I'm laughing from that perspective. I, I see that on a daily basis with my dog. <laughs> uh, well, also, it, just like humans, it can be very situational, too. Yeah. Right. So he may have gotten to the point where he ignores Layla's cues because he that's that's his housemate. Right. <clears throat> and due to the reinforcement history of their interactions, he can gauge how far he can push her or not listen to those cues. Just like with a good friend of mine, you know, I can be very candid where somebody I've just met, I will probably be more on my P's and Q's not to accidentally upset them because we don't have that relationship. And I don't know how they may take me being more blunt or more direct. Right. Um, right. So getting back to our analogy of being in the airport and how those cues work is very much dogs work the same way. Um, now 
you said in your interaction, there was a, it, it escalated all the way to the point where the dogs actually um, scuffled a little bit. Right. Over a, um, over a toy. Yeah. Right. Now, without even being there, I can almost assure you what, what, what happened was, is one dog got to that ball first, and then there was some stiffness. The first cue that things aren't going well. If, if it was me, I probably would have called my dog away right then, right? Then there was probably a lift, a, a lift of the lip by one of the dogs and maybe a low level growl. The problem are, is escalating. Now, if that were two humans is now I'm bothering the person with the earbuds or in the magazine and they're aggravated with me and they may say something that triggers me more, right? And I was just like, look, I was just trying to get some information from you. There's no reason for you to, you know, get that way with me, right? But at the same time, I am impinging on this personal's personal space at the moment. So, you know, as a human being who practices the way I do in this situation, I'm going to say that I am not being respectful to this person. Um, just like that dog wasn't being respectful to the point where your dog was saying, look, this is my ball. I'm here first. It's mine. I'm not having that. And there was a scuffle. Now, the important thing is to remember is that just because that interaction happened doesn't mean all is lost, right? There's always going to be time for hot and cold emotions to cool down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's one way of thinking about it that people don't think about with their dogs is emotional states change behavior, environment changes behavior. So just because your dog acted a certain way in a certain place at a certain time doesn't mean that's their new behavior. <laughs> behavior. Um, so some people like to say that their behavior is like this, but behaviors are actually actions. So if you want to say their overall behavior is conducive of a lot of wanted behavior and very little bad behavior, then you could say my dog's pretty well behaved, right? But if your dog's interactions are 50-50 or more towards the negative side, you say my dog's be overall behavior is not so great. Right. Um, and that could be because of practice. It could be because of genetics. It could be because of temperament. It could be because of certain circumstances are just not good at the moment. Um, and that's important for us to understand and encapsulate when dealing with our dogs, because it, we can't deal with human or animal behavior in absolutes is you can't just say, well, that's wrong. So I'm going to shut that down right like this, because I don't think you should be able to do this ever. Well, you know, that's kind of ridiculous. So, you know, bringing it back to, um, our behavior in general is it, there's it's, it's there's a lot of simplicity to it, but there's so much nuance and so much delicate little small perceived motions and actions in every interaction that the more you're in tune to that, you just have a better view. Think about it as a photograph, 
right? If it's in high definition, you can see a lot. But if it's pixely, you can't make out as much. And I think what we do as humans as we grow and we develop is it is in creating a better resolution in, in how we see things. Is it's making a clearer picture. You're seeing more of the dots connected. You're seeing a better interpretation of what is there versus um, here's what I'm feeling in my head and projecting that into the situation. Yeah, and there's and I think there's really two things I want to say to that. I think the first is number one, if we never go through experiences that we regret, we would have liked to have done better. Maybe we didn't meet what we wanted to meet or achieve the success we wanted to achieve. We would have nothing to learn and to grow from. So in these search, excuse me, in these circumstances that we're talking about here, let's say I'm bugging the, the person with the, the headphones and they had that sigh based on how they treat me, I could learn from that experience of, you know what, maybe I should have done that a little bit differently because I missed some cues there. And that leads me to the second part is it takes some willingness to reflect back upon how did I actually behave in this situation? And was that the most conducive or not? Because easily in that situation we're talking about, I could just say, that's all in that other guy. They were a jerk. They didn't have to be rude to me. So it takes a little bit of that self-reflection and willingness to look inwards to say, you know what, I think I missed something there. So let me learn from it. So those are the two things I think I really want to throw, throw out there to that. And I actually want to use that kind of as a segue because there's a lot of things we've talked about that I think are important to our mental health today. And what I mean by that is, as introverts, we get our energy from being by ourselves. As extroverts, we get our energy from being with other people. And as we're talking about reading social cues and social interactions, I think it's important to understand for us, what do I really need to be at my, my best mentally? And is that with other people? Or is that with myself? Or is it a combination? Do I need to recharge? So to Andrew's point about interactions with dogs and it not always being the end-all be-all if there's just one fight from the beginning, maybe those dogs need some time to re-energize, to be where they're comfortable, to be by themselves. And then when they're in a better state of mind or in a different spot emotionally, it's easier for them to give it another go, to connect. Just like as, as human beings is if I have a bad first impression from somebody, maybe there's some circumstances that go into that. And maybe it's because I'm off my game because perhaps I'm wiped from interacting with people too much throughout the day. And that influenced me because I've tapped out my energy, say, as an introvert. Or maybe as an extrovert, I've been by myself all day and I'm feeling like I'm not connected to people and that's kind of drained on me as well. And so maybe I don't behave my best in that first meeting. So a lot of different circumstances come into play. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, and you know, at the end of the day, it, it just comes down to, to practicing and understanding what you have done. 
and not letting the actions of yesterday be branded on you, right? Is one of the things that I kind of am very disheartened about with how we look at people is attacking them for making a change in thought. And I'm going to say a quote by Maya Angelou, and it is, when you know better, you do better. And learning is not about being perfect. It's about learning from your mistakes and what didn't go well. And that's actually what kind of carries people forward. And, you know, I don't want people in charge of the state or, or, or the country that haven't made any mistakes and haven't owned those mistakes and rise to overcome the, um, or what I'm saying is I want them to take responsibility for when they recognize I made a mistake or my thinking in the past was maybe not in line with new evidence, new light, new situations that I've come to, you know, um, yeah come to you know bring into my thinking is if we can't change our thinking we are going to be doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past it's just going to happen so what i want people to do is stop trying to avoid failure and embrace failure for what it is is a learning experience and There's nothing wrong with failure except for continuously making the same failure and not having the know-it-all to say, it's me in this situation that continuously is failing. Not the circumstances, not the other people, but it's me not learning everything that I can to make a change now. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm going to use an example. apologize because i forget which comedian said this and i'm paraphrasing it uh but the the gist of their joke and the statement was essentially that if you have a continual string of bad roommates the bad roommate isn't them it's it's you and i think that's to your point and some of the things we highlighted earlier it's like can i recognize when i'm perhaps creating a situation continually And can I learn from that and grow? Why did I perhaps have this experience time and time again? But it's a hard thing to do for people. So if if any, if our listeners maybe take one thing away from today, maybe what I would ask is, if I look back upon the experiences in my life, the ones maybe that didn't go well, can I ask myself, what did I do to contribute to that? And if I can allow myself to objectively do that, then I may start unearthing some of these things that could help me move forward and I can learn from and grow from as we move forward in the future. Maybe not miss that social cue. Maybe have my dogs have good interactions. Or learn perhaps what do I need to be on my game mentally and recharged physically to go into this interaction in the best way possible. Yeah, you know, and 
dogs are very much like people too is like they respond very well to social energies right and you know there are just some people when they walk in the room they make you feel good and there are other people when they walk in the room they instantly make you nervous um and i can't explain that you know that's not past experience but there's something in the way that individual is carrying themselves that I can feel and I feel feel the connectiveness or disconnect from that yeah. person. Yeah. And again, I think that's something that comes in time and practice and, and being willing to be open. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a great example of that, Andrew, because I think that's a, that's a phenomenal point. And part of this maybe comes down to kind of situational awareness, right? Am I reading other people and the environment together, right? And myself at all three levels kind of starts with us, extends other people and then extends our environments. That's, that's kind of my, my progression for it. So here's the story. It's, it's, uh, it's years ago and a buddy of mine and I are driving to go to the penguins. And it had to have been during the winter or uh, an earlier part of the year, just because, or a later part of the year, because it was dark. It was dark going to that, say, a 7 o'clock game. So we were driving. We want to stop at an ATM on the way before we get to the game. So I pull into the parking lot, and we get out of the car. We see this guy come out of his car, walk towards us, and he's like, what are you doing? So immediately, not knowing this person, but reading, it's dark. It's just my buddy and I and this other guy who was in a parked car who only came out after we started walking towards the ATM and then asked us what we were doing. My alarm bells started going off, right? So very similar to, I think, what you're talking about of what, what makes me nervous. I'm reading the environment. I'm reading this other person. So... I simply said, oh, just going to check my balance. And then we actually walked back to my car. We didn't even go to the ATM. Because to your point, there was something off about this situation and about this individual. I had never met this person, but my body was intuitively telling me, uh, don't tell them we're going to go draw money and out of the ATM or do not go and take money out of that ATM either. It said, get back into your car and drive away. And, and I think that illustrates exactly your point is when we meet people, whether it's at a coffee shop, it's at work, it's out and about, can we listen to what that energy is telling us, what our internal senses and our external senses are all coming together and reading that environment, reading that person, tell us of whether or not yeah, there's something off here or yeah, this person looks very warm and open and inviting. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it is just experiencing life and, 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 you know, creating that data bank in your head of like this, this is what, what my experience and my intuition tells me. Right. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we, we are just energy in, in, in form, right. Yeah. is our body is 70% water and electricity. <laughs> yeah. 
we, we have some carbon in there, you know, life is an incredible thing that I don't fully understand. Um, and I, I don't think anyone fully does. And that's why it drives me crazy when I hear people talk in absolutes about how things should be. Um, yeah. Because it, what is right for one isn't always necessarily right for another. Life is very gray, right? It's not black or white, not all or nothing. It's right. In between. It, it is very in between. And I think what the important thing is, is um, you have one life and it's yours. And you are the captain of that ship. And if you just go out to sea with no plan, it's gonna, it's gonna be a rough ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. So before you go out to sea on your ship as the captain, you know, when you're coming into adulthood into this world and you're leaving the ship shores of comfortability and security of what you've known, find some purpose. At the end of the day, it is the saving grace for everyone. Yeah. Um, I use this analogy and I really like is <clears throat> there are times where I'm very tired, but I'm not ready to go to sleep. And, you know, the easy thing to do is to watch TV because it's, it's, it's entertaining, you know, and it takes very little energy. Now with Netflix, the possibilities of what I can watch is so vast yeah. that I can actually spend more time choosing something to watch than actually watching something. <laughs> and life can be very much like that. It's if you don't know what to watch, you can spend a lot of time sitting still and looking around, maybe making assumptions of, I might like that. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But, you know, at some point, if you don't watch any of the shows, you'll never know. And you'll spend a lot of time thinking about what could be. Now, if you find one of those shows you really like, what ends up happening? You go back and go back and go back and go right. back and you finish that show. Right. And you're looking for the next one. Right. That's what your purpose is. It's the show you can't quit show that you want to binge watch every day you wish there was more find it yeah so right it's it's a really good way of saying when you find something that you just want more of on a continual basis and you will dedicate time towards making it happen that's a really good analogy of helping someone understand that may be their calling, their purpose in life. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for sharing that. It, I mean, it. that's why we are together, is yeah. <laughs> that, you know, when you first start, started your coaching business and we, I said, I want to do this because I, I agree with what you're telling me, right? And I remember reading this statement from you is, I, I went to school to be an engineer and then I was an FBI agent, but what always, it, the question in my mind is that 
what makes people satisfied or happy or complete? And that's why you do what you do. And I spent pretty much all of my life, you know, observing and looking for, you know, what is my purpose, right? What do I truly feel passionate about? And it is very much the same thing is, is finding the understanding of how to help others find purpose and happiness. Um, and happiness is a result of finding purpose. I don't think happiness is a state of, it, it's an emotion. So it's not a state of being. So I think a lot of people forego their happiness often because they're, they're too busy, you know, contrasting it to what, what they want or how they think things should be <laughs> instead of being in the moment and being like, I feel happy right now, you know, and I've been, I've been doing a lot of rescue work with my friend Allie and she, we, we spent a day together working dogs. And I remember <clears throat> being on a walk later that day with Courtney. And she said, you look happy. And I said, I am happy. Cause I was fulfilled at that moment. And it was funny. Cause I talked to Allie the next day and she said, when I came home, my boyfriend looked at me and she said, wow, you look happy. She said, yeah, because I was doing my purpose. Yeah, I think it's a important, it's an important note. And I think there's a lot of people in the country that feel unfulfilled because a lot of what we do to try to determine what our purpose is, we do through work. People yes. typically are unhappy in their professions because they feel it does not holistically fulfill them in that area of, of their life. But it's a very interesting, interesting point in terms of our mental health. There's different parts of our lives that perhaps I have different purpose. Maybe at work, I love working with people as a coach. That whole heartily fulfills what I believe I'm put on this earth to do. But I also have physical fitness as a huge part of my life. So training for and competing in triathlons fulfills me in that way as well. So there could be several different pieces to your purpose in different areas of life. And when we feel like they're all aligned, we can feel very mentally healthy. But when there's one that's perhaps off and it's a big part of our lives, say work, it can drain on us and greatly impact our mental well-being because that fulfillment isn't there and our purpose is misaligned. Or excuse me, what we're doing is misaligned with our purpose. Excuse me. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in dog training, we try to talk to people about people or their dog's emotional bank account. And we've talked about this with humans too, which is think about it as, um, you know, adding, adding money into the account or good experiences and negative experience with drama. 
Um, and that's a very simple way of looking at things. One of the things that I want to challenge people to do is, so that's a P&L of your, your emotional bank. Let's look into a full accounting of your emotional bank, right? And when you do that, what it is, is it's not just money in, money out, but it's what money is coming in, what services bring in the most money, what services are the most popular, what are the services that you enjoy the most, what are the expenses that you're incurring, are they necessary? Some sacrifices create great gains. Some gains create great sacrifice for minimal gain. It's important to, once you get above water <laughs> and you're, you're moving forward, it's not just about more good than bad. It's about nuancing and leveling up and saying, all right, I got this much information. What's the next step? We're always going to be following, following all life's systems have fallout. So we will always be experiencing some level of uncertainty or um, situation that we need to overcome or try to improve. Like we're never done. Right. So I think that it is a fool's errand to explain away things, right? And put blame on other things. This is why I can't do this. If it's completely true, then you find a solution around it or you have abandoned it. But I guarantee you, there are a lot of things that can change to change that circumstance. You just need to be open and aware of those things. So it, it's been a very interesting talk today about all the similarities we've seen between social ability and our animals and ourselves and what we can learn from going through those situations. Um, so do you have any, any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I mean, just I think a, a recap is we, I think we really highlighted a key few things, uh, which are number one, our experiences are interpreted through our senses, both externally and then internally too, how we're feeling internally at that moment, combined with what we're perceiving externally gives us our experience in that moment. And that's the same for humans. It's the same for, for our animals. And in those times, can we read those cues? And also after the fact, can we be open enough to look back upon those to learn and to grow from those experiences. And furthermore, how am I going into those interactions based on perhaps my extrovert or my introversion and my energy level from that day? And have I given myself the ability to, to recharge that or not? And then I think here at the end, you know, you're bringing out some very, very good points as well. And Part of what can tip the scales for us in our mental health is how aligned or misaligned we are with our purpose and our passion in the areas of our lives. So I think that's my kind of takeaway as a whole from the conversation today. 
Yeah, I, I, I concur. It was a great conversation, Steve. And I want to thank everyone for listening and tune in next time for another great episode of The Resilient Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing. If you would like more information on coaching, look at striveformore.com to find Steve's business, or you can look for pet care options at pittsburghpetcare.com. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at contact at pittsburghpetcare.com. See you next time.